You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast and show, broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and over 400 barn finds on display. Check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. Now on to the show with our host, the president of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howe. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Ethan. It's Good a morning. wonderful Saturday morning, June the 18th. We're recording this. That's right. So if you hear this at a later date, you'll know that you're not losing your mind. If I say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, which is tomorrow, it might be two weeks ago. <laughs> or two years ago, depending on when you're listening to well, this that's recorded true. show. If you're listening on the podcast, the Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever other ones that were on there, and, and also um, YouTube as well, too. That's you right. can catch the shows on YouTube. So. Anyway, um, kind of a sad week in the classic car world. Um, uh, Dr. Fred Simeone of the Simeone Foundation passed away uh, last week. And uh, you talk about a collection of cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. A real Cobra Daytona, which we'll talk to our upcoming guest mm-hmm. about. And uh, But just everything automotive, I mean, race car automotive, and in as raced condition. So he's got a Cobra Daytona that's arguably worth, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, whatever number you want to put on it, million dollars. Right. And it looks like it just drove the, through the Sahara Desert. <laughs> it's it dirt and dust and dings and perfect. <laughs> exactly the way you want it with rubber still up under the wheel wells and, and you know, mm-hmm. the worn tires and kinks on the wheels and all that good stuff. And it's an amazing car. But the, the turnout for his memorial was really just was uh, unbelievable. I, like, I, I don't know how his family stood up there for that long and, you know, talked to people over and over and over again. That's such a hard thing to do. And then especially when you've got a, somebody who is so recognized and so respected in this hobby. Um, and it was certainly, um, it was very touching and it was, uh, thousands of people there and they had it at the, at the foundation. And of course, the museum and foundation are going to continue um, in perpetuity, I hope, forever, because it's a wonderful place. And if you don't have it on your bucket list, and I've said this many times before, go see it because it's fantastic. I mean, the collection of cars and and the history of what you see down there, Ford GT40s and 917 Porsches and you name it. I mean, all it's, the – It's a rainy – I mean, everything. Yeah. It's yeah. just an amazing collection. And I've never seen an outpouring. We, we've had people pass away in the hobby yeah. you know, in re- last year especially. And I've never seen an outpouring. Every publication, every, yeah. every newspaper, every, and and not one bad word. No. Was said about Doctor Simeon. Yeah, I mean every email blast that you get that's automotive related. It's you know the the respect that he's gotten from everybody, and so uh, you know rest in peace, Doctor Fred. And uh, we're just glad to know that your collection will continue on. Hey, you know it's funny. I've been talking about Coca Cola being our sponsor because you know I always <laughs> drink a Coca Cola, and on my can today it says All Access Pass, and it's got a microphone and Coke Studio. Huh? Are they? Are they? I don't know. It's got a QR code, so we're going to have to figure well, out what. I guess. Because it's got music notes in there. So, yeah. You know, oh, maybe yeah, it's see. backstage past. <laughs> to, to, the, to the Stuart Howden podcast, right? <laughs> anyway, we got the Chariots of Fire car show out here this weekend. And the weather is – it's the middle of June and it's 66 degrees out there and breezy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, bundle up if you're coming out, uh, those of you – well, 
you're already here. So if you don't, if you didn't bundle up, come buy a sweatshirt with classic automobile on it or a hat right. or any of those things. Lots of swag. Pastor Weed ordered good weather today. Yes, he did. It's perfect weather. And, uh, you know, we like to see, uh, the turnout. We had the Model A Restorers Club last week, 450 Model A's here. It was amazing. And then we've got also the Vintage Chevy Club here. And they're doing judging and, and all that good stuff, and that's in one of our expo rooms uh, that's connected to our Holiday Inn, 188-room mm-hmm. Holiday Inn that we have here on property as well, too. So if you get a chance to come out next year and see these, because by the time you hear this, they're long gone. But we're always open. We're always open. Well, except for Sundays. Except and, for Sundays. And half a days on Saturdays and <laughs> evenings except for Wednesdays and that kind of thing. So what new inventory did we get in this week, Steve? What you tell me? <laughs> okay. How about the '62 Fiat 1200 Cabriolet? That's a really cool little car. Have you seen it? Is it yeah, we featured it on. Uh, I think I've already featured it. It's red, right? Yeah, red. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a nice little car. Red over red and black is a 1221 cc four cylinder. And you know, people go, "Well, how can that be fun? It's only a four cylinder, 1200 cc's." But in a light little car mm-hmm. with a high revving motor, you know, it it can be a lot of fun. It's all what you make it. You can hit the apex of a corner in a minivan. You know, yeah. I mean, you can. That's right. You can make it what it is. And so, but these little sports cars like this, and this one's, you know, rarely see these Fiat 1200s and uh, a really clean interior car and just a, a neat little car. And I don't imagine it will last long. It hasn't been here. Very That's long. right. And the beauty is you don't need a lot of space to store this car. It's Correct. tiny and you could move some stuff over in your garage. Yeah. It's like a guy I was talking to the other day. He collects Zippo lighters. I'm like, <laughs> well, you don't really need a big 336,000 square foot building like we have when you collect Zippo lighters. I know a guy who does Pez <laughs> Dispensers. His entire basement, right. wall to wall, ceiling to floor, Pez, Pez dispensers. dispensers. I didn't, you know. When was the last time you saw a Pez dispenser for sale anywhere? Right. Apparently, it's a whole world. I, I guess it is. So, you know, that's supposedly how eBay started. You know, oh, when it, oh, the, really? the Pierre Omidar uh, was a Pez dispenser collector, and I don't know if that's all just old wives' tale right. stuff or whatever, but uh, that's how they got started. And then, of course, eBay Motors started because uh, Simon Rothman, who was with eBay, uh, who became eBay. Motors, vice president of eBay Motors, uh, was hunting for a Ferrari model for his nephew, mm. and a real Ferrari popped up on eBay. Wow. And he said, oh, this could be a light bulb. And so here they go. So, And we still advertise on eBay. Yeah, we don't we don't sell a lot of cars on eBay. We mostly – it's just mostly kind of a call to action thing. But visibility. Uh, yeah, a lot of visibility and lots of people see it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully they don't think that they can buy a car for $12 or whatever the number it happens to not right. bid or not bid to. Yeah, they all start at 500. Yeah, we start everything at 500, so everybody can play. Uh, You know, of course, then I get people get mad at me and they say, well, you know that car's not going to sell for 500. I know, but there's got to be a starting point somewhere. I mean, you go to a Mecham auction or a Barrett Jackson auction, eventually they'll start at whatever they can get somebody to raise their hand at. Of course. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a million dollar car or a $10,000 car. So, but, uh, but anyway, um, I digress as I usually do. Another uh, great car we got in a 39 Cadillac Series 75 touring sedan hmm. green over beige but a dark elegant green not a you know a in your face uh you know what was the green that uh sublime oh sublime green <laughs> yeah, not not that mm-hmm. which is on a mopar product but uh this has got the 346 cubic inch v8 so think about it, 1939 i right. mean chevrolet's v8 didn't come out until 1955 right mm. so you know cadillac was putzing around with v8s back in the 30s and the 40s and all that this is the original interior interior it's mm-hmm. an older repaint runs and drives great you know and these things i mean it was so funny you know if you look at the pricing of these things and and how few they made of some of these it's amazing that any of them survived 
because right. I mean they made I think uh, 9,400 examples um, in 1938 to 13,000 units in in 1939, and that's total Cadillacs. That's amazing, not many. Yeah, and so and the Series 75 was 1,900 units in 38 and 22,000 units in 39. I mean that's not a whole lot of cars in car world, you know. Of mm-hmm. course, no. you know uh, our you know the economy in the world wasn't. I mean it was better. It, we'd gotten past the depression, but it wasn't great. So, right. but anyway, uh, we also got a great. If you hear music in the background, by the way, that's the band out there at the car show. Can you hear it? I don't know. I, I can. I feel it. I hear, I hear it in my headphones, but not sure the microphones are picking. It. Well, maybe not. So, uh, well, of course, if they're coming in my headphones, the microphones has to be picking them up. But anyway, uh, another great car, Volvo eighteen hundred E Coupe uh, P eighteen hundred. Those mm-hmm. things are so cool. And this one is really black over red. It's. I mean, almost flawless paint on this thing. It, it's unbelievable. And uh, these are really getting a resurgence, or not even a resurgence, I guess their first time, of uh, being popular. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, for years you could buy them for six, $7,000. And uh, now um, they're significantly more. And this one in black is really a great color. I see a lot of them in white and other colors that aren't as flattering to the car. But uh, this black uh, over red is really beautiful. And it's got an upgraded two-liter two uh, four-cylinder and uh, four-speed manual transmission in the car. And check it out. All these cars are available on our website, classicautomall.com. And uh, you can go there and check on, click on inventory and search by year or make or model or or you can sort by price or by sort year, by you year. Can, yeah. You know, you can uh, – there's a lot of different ways to uh, skin the cat, as they say. Yep. And, um, and you know, uh, you don't see a lot of the 1800 Volvos. I mean, you're seeing more and more of them. I love the wagons, too. We had one of those. We did. We had one a couple months ago. And, yeah. And people, yeah, there, there, there is a – not resurgence, a right. surgence. Yeah. Is that a word? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for these things. And we, we featured this one on, on social as well and yeah. got a lot of response from people love them. If you haven't checked us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok – Ding dong. No, no, no. <laughs> um, what's the other? Oh, YouTube. You, YouTube. And then our own website. And if you want to get our once a month newsletter, go to our website, classicautomon.com, and sign up for our newsletter. And um, we've been upgrading our website a little bit. We finally got everybody's updated pictures on there. Now we're working on bios from everybody. Oh, yeah. You ever try to get bios from your staff? It's like pulling teeth. Nobody wants it. And then they're like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then a week later, it's like, did you get that bio done? Yeah, I'm still working. Look, it'll take you 10 minutes if right. you just stop and, and smell the proverbial roses. You have to tell them, look, just one paragraph. <laughs> one paragraph. Some of, some of us. Or you're not getting paid. <laughs> Yeah, or else. Or else, you know. Cause what, else, what else did you get in? Well, we got a 90 Ford Mustang GT. Now you say, mm. okay, well, that's, you know, dime a dozen Fox Body Mustang, which is the 79 to 93. This one has 11,950 original miles on it. And it is in, listen to the colors. Yeah. I love the colors. Wild strawberry metallic and light titanium gray metallic. And then I, I mean, Ford, 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 <laughs> Ford is cra- clever. Yeah, clever or somebody. Wild was. strawberry metallic. So it's red. It's red and gray. And gray. Yeah. Red so. and gray. <laughs> if you go through in our software for where we, we have a, a back, a program where we load all the pictures and all the descriptions of our cars that send them out to all the websites, mm-hmm. including our own. And if you go to the color charts of every color that we've ever entered in, it's a fascinating mm-hmm. read. You know, it's the, the great colors from, like we talked about, Mopar, Sublime. Yeah. And, and black cherry and, and all the different colors there are and the names of the colors they were all basically the same color. Yeah. Me, I just go, it's green, it's red, it's right. blue, it's, you know. 
I try not to get too dealt into that. These ninety Mustangs, that era is coming up too. I think, yeah, strong. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the I mean, we we all remember those cars when we were right. in the nineties. I mean, everybody's when you saw it, you knew exactly what it was the minute you saw it. And uh, that's not quite the case today. Although the Mustang is very, I like the Mustang, mm-hmm. the current model Mustang. I do too. Uh, I think it's a good looking car. And there's one down in Downingtown that's really set up right with the right stance and the right wheels and it's the right color. And that has so much to do with cars. You know, forget the performance, forget a lot of it. It's stance and color and look, you know, it's something that catches your eye. I'd say, wow, that's a beautiful car. So anyway, uh, we also got uh, a 54 Bentley R-Series Saloon. Black over burgundy. It's got an inline six with twin SU carbs on it. And this thing is very elegant looking. Beautiful mm-hmm. burl and wood interior. Um, you know, it, it's, these things are, you know, they're certainly a niche market and it's not everybody wants mm-hmm. one because you can't really go fast in them. Or you can, but. And you can't go too far yeah. <laughs> without a, without a support vehicle behind you. But yeah. it's top of the food chain as far as elegance and. Absolutely. Everything. I mean, just a beautiful car and black in color just really, you know, sets that thing apart. Uh, as much as anything. So if you get a chance, like I said, go on our uh, um, our website and check out some of the inventory. And speaking of inventory and where we sold cars this week, if you did you ask me that too? Yeah, we got, a, <laughs> got about 30 seconds. Can oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I think I can do this. So <laughs> we only sold 16 cars this week. Oh, so, oh, okay. God, what are we going to do? So where do we sell them to, you ask? Yes. Dallastown, Pennsylvania, Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, Tombal, Texas, Tombal, Texas, I don't know, Hamilton, New Jersey, Frederick, Maryland, At Glen, Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Delaware, Manalapan, New Jersey, Vancouver, Washington. There's a freight bill you don't want to pay. Mm-hmm. Honeybrook, Pennsylvania, Miami, Florida, Washington, D.C., Rutherfordton, North Carolina, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Prescott, Arizona, and Easton, Pennsylvania. So okay. all over the place we're selling cars. But it was a light week for sales, but a huge week for consignments. We consigned about 30 new cars this week. So when we return, we're going to have our special guest, Mr. Brent Fenimore, former vice president of Shelby American and friend to Carol Shelby and uh, deeply involved in the Series 1 program. And we're going to talk all things uh, Shelby and Brent and cars and all that good stuff when we return. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Automob Podcast, live from the Classic Automob Studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, the hub of classic cars. Uh, the world of classic cars is right here in the hub of Morgantown, Pennsylvania, which is – now we have a casino, too, so we're really highfalutin now. We've got a very special guest on the show today, an old friend of mine. I say old. I mean longtime friend, I should say, uh, although we are getting a little bit old. But, oh, gosh, Stuart, don't you know how to turn your cell phone off? Uh, Mr. Brent Fenimore, who was uh, formerly the vice president of Shelby uh, and uh, very involved in the Series 1, which we will talk about uh, – as we uh, progress here. Uh, good morning, Brent. Good morning, Stuart. How are you? 
I'm doing fine. We were just trying to talk, we were just talking before we came on the air of when was the last time we saw each other? I think it was at Cruise Auction in Auburn, Indiana in 2000 and something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was we were selling one of the uh, 40th anniversary cars actually at that auction. I think this is the last time that I saw you actually. Yeah. yeah. And I think and we did one in Vegas too. Remember we did the sale at Mandalay Bay and we sold one of yep. those as well too and uh those yeah, that that had that had Reggie Reggie Jackson was bidding on that one in Vegas. Remember? I do remember that. God, we spent a fortune on that auction, and we I think we lost our butts on that sale because by the time we rented Mandalay Bay, we had Robert Cray as the as the entertainment, and he was great. Yep. And of course, of course, they thought they were going to make up money on having Robert Cray perform, and they didn't sell enough tickets. And then all of a sudden, it became my fault because I was in the music business with Mel Tillis ten years ago. I was like, what the hell does that have to do with me? <laughs> so, you just can't win. No, you cannot win. And that was win. that was, but it was a lot. Of, eBay was eBay Cruise was a lot of fun back then. I mean, we were doing. Yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was a different crowd of people than you'd see at Bear Jackson. The things the things I liked about the early auction days is each one of them had their own flavor. It seems today a lot of them are kind of carrying the same general footprint type stuff. But sure. you could you could have a lot of classic car people going to the cruise stuff. Um, and then you'd have a lot of the, uh, retro types people going mm-hmm. to Bear Jackson at that time. Right. And right. I don't see that today, but you, you do see uh, every flavor of car at every one of these auctions anymore. Yeah. And that, and that's so true. And it's, it's funny because now you see like some of the high end auction houses are starting to, uh, uh, market supers from the eighties and nineties and, you know, uh, cars that they used to not even take a second glance at. So it's, uh, interesting yeah. to see, but, uh, you know, I love the auction bit and I love auctions. I, I'm not a car show guy. I'm not good at going and sitting on a folding chair behind my car all day, but I like the excitement of an auction. You know, they were, that was always fun. And of course at cruise in Auburn, they had that huge car corral where you could go and make deals, you know, for cash with open titles. Oh yeah. <laughs> I always had to keep Carol out of there. <laughs> that would be a dangerous. I, I, he'd do this at Bear Jackson too, but he would, at the end of the show, him and I always sat, you know, the last day because it was usually the spin down day. And he would sit next to me and he would bid on some of the craziest automobiles. And I say, do you really want that? He says, well, it keeps the, keeps the crowd going and I, I'd probably take it home. <laughs> I love that. We ended up with probably 20 cars over the years, Stuart, that were really not of significance right. as a collectible, right. but they were significant to Carol, you know, uh, certain cars in his life really made an impact on him. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, gosh, how many cars that touched his life and, and, and throughout the, you know, from him racing Aston Martins back in the day and MGs and, and then getting into this, you know, sports car stuff. And then of course the, you know, the, the GT program and all that. How did you get started at Shelby? How did, what, how did that happen? Did you just run into him at a 7-Eleven and say, Hey, I want to come work for you? Well, I had seen that, um, he was going to open his facility in Vegas. Now this, that started way back in 95, I think, when they first started saying this. Right. And I saw him up at Road America and kind of introduced myself in 96, I think it was, early 96. 
And um, he said, well, I'm building a plant there in, in Vegas. You need to apply. And so I, and, and I was living in Vegas at the time. So I did, I went and applied, but it was really, um, it was a startup. And there was maybe 12 employees total. Um, and so they said, we have hundreds of applications. And I'm like, well, Mr. Shelby told me to go. Well, yeah, everybody said that. <laughs> so, so then about four months later, I was at the Smith's grocery store, coincidentally, because you were close. Oh, and out, in, out in Summerlin and Carol was in there and he ran in. I ran into him in an aisle. And I said, hi, Mr. Shelby. I'm sure you don't remember. He says, oh, heck yes, I remember you. Right. A little more colorful than that. Yeah. But, um, he said, Dude, I, I thought you'd be working there by now. And he said, you need to get back in there. Tell them that I really did send you and they can talk to me about it. Well, I don't know if that was the really the propulsion, but uh, I did go back in. And I was a welder fabricator at the time been doing it for many many years right and um they gave me a, a test to build a seat and i you know you had to do three-quarter tube cobra seat and i built it in probably an hour and 15 minutes and they said you're hired right because most so people I, didn't do it in an hour and 15 yeah i mean I, I had to cope all the tubes myself bend the tube myself so um so I started as just a welder fabricator, but I immediately um, got promoted to building all new tooling and all kinds of things under Tom D'Antonio at the time. Right. And um, things progressed. Then I ended up building an identical car to 3071, which was a continuation 427. We built 4071. Right. And those sold at auction in 1990, I think it was 1998, no, 1997 at Cruise. They sold, both of them were black. They looked identical. And from there, Carol just kind of took a liking to me. And, and, and he really was the guy that would rather talk to the folks in the back that made things happen than sit in an office. Sure. Sure. And a lot of guys are like that have been successful that are like that and, and involved with, you know, Ford and Chrysler and everybody he was involved in. So you quickly went up the, the, the ladder, if you will, at Shelby, right? Yeah. I became, uh, well, the series one program that you mentioned, I became the production manager slash business manager of that program right away in 1990, late 97, early 98. And, um, that program was really struggling at the time. We had, we had thrown everything in the garbage in early 97 and started over. Right. So Mark Visconti and a couple of his guys, um, that were really great engineers had to start from zero and there really was kind of a over-engineering issue going on in the eyes of the people that needed to keep the the money going. Right. But, you know, engineers typically wanted it to be the perfect egg. So Shelby needed somebody that could work with both sides of it and kind of promoted me up the ladder. Then we got involved with Venture Industries in 1998 because we were – way behind on uh keeping the 
keeping the bank account open. <laughs> right. so they became our investment capital partner, and they promoted me to being plant manager, general manager. Um, a guy named Nelson Gonzalez came from Buick. Uh, he was 25 years at Buick City general manager, and he worked for Venture. And he kind of put me under his wing, made me his general manager. So I reported to Nelson Gonzalez and Venture, and my other side was Carol. Right. And these were two totally different uh, personalities. Um, I learned a ton from both of them. Sure. You know, Nelson knew how to build production cars. Carol just loved any car that could go fast, get traction, steer right, um, and he always said, if we build 500, we can break even. Well, that wasn't entirely true, but that was, <laughs> that was one of his theories was 500 was a break even number. And of course you got halfway there, right? You got halfway there, 249, is it? Or yeah, we actually did 256 cars, right. but some of them were traded, uh, for, services rendered as opposed to sold right so there is a little bit of a wrong number out there yeah the, sure. the 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 i hear 249 but i reported 249 cars were sold and built right. actually there's 256 production cars delivered right so i, I think that that should be corrected sometime but it's hard to correct the uh Wikipedia after it's already out there, right? Yeah, and that's uh-huh. the truth. Yeah. Well, and and I think that uh, you know, and then weren't there? So, so where did the name? So, series one is that? What significance did the name have? I never really knew what the meaning of that was, or if there even was one. Yeah, originally there was going to be a series one. We were going to build five hundred, and there was a series two to follow it, which we actually did full size. We did a bunch of quarter scale cut models and then we did a full size model of that up at our studio in Detroit um and th- that was going to be the series 2 and then there was going to be a series they were just going to keep repeating series right um you got to remember we didn't own and still they still don't own the name cobra that's a ford product right uh, trademark so we couldn't call the new car Cobra because we hadn't gotten back together with Ford by then. Right. That was 2005, um, so, right? Yeah, well, yeah, we, we signed the agreement with them in 2004 for the 2007 model car. Right. So that's when we really were together with them again, which was Carol's dream to go out with Ford. Um, but we we immediately started working with John Coletti and and Chris Theodore on lots of projects to promote the Shelby that was coming up in 2007. Right. So that's where you started to see all the activity in in um in 2005. Right, right. I remember that. So uh, when we come back, gosh, you know, there's a million things I got to ask you. But when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Series Ones and uh, other things and values and all the things that are going on and, and what else you're doing in the in the world of cars these days. When we return, we'll be back uh, the Classic Auto Mall podcast in just a couple of minutes. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars 
antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast, live from the Classic Auto Mall studio here in Morganham, PA. And we got a big crowd here today. There's everybody wandering through here. They've got a car show out front. We've got a VC uh, Vintage Chevy Club uh, meet in the uh, expo rooms that we have here. And we've got 700 cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display inside the building. So uh, we're speaking to our friend who we were just reminiscing about the good old days, or maybe they weren't the good old days, but they seemed like the good old days, with uh, Brent Fenimore, uh, former VP of Shelby and project manager on the Series 1 and plant manager and welder and everything in between, right? How did you – so did you and Shelby become fr- – you all became friends, right? I mean, it was more than just an employee-employer relationship, wasn't it? Yeah, I was very fortunate. He – he it was way more than just an employer-employee relationship because he confided in me with a lot of, of personal things as well as included me in about every decision was being made at our executive level, uh, Shelby licensing and, and everything from Goodyear tire distributorship to, um, you know, to washing dishes, like you said. Right. So, you know, I'd, I'd spend time over at his house and, you know, he got married to Cleo shortly after I started working for him and him and Cleo and I would go on little drives and trips. In fact, I, we went on a trip in Auburn, the the last time that I think we saw each other, and remember we he we he wanted to go out and see the Amish buggies. Oh yeah, I remember this. And I so him and Cleo and I, I got some Krispy Kreme donuts, <laughs> and we took off out in the countryside. And he kept telling me where to go, and I'm thinking, how do you know where we're going? Right. And he right. said, I've got a buddy that's going to build us a buggy for our miniature horses. I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we're on gravel roads, and he. Sure as heck, he says, turn in right here. And we were at this guy's house. It was a, a big, had a big shop in it and in the middle of the country in Auburn, outside of Auburn. Right. And, and we were bold crapping around and, and, um, I keep looking at my watch. I go, we have a parade in 40 minutes that you're supposed to be the grand marshal. <laughs> right. The Auburn Duesenberg parade. Yeah. And, and he, he, he said, I don't care about that. I'm busy. I'm talking to my friend, Brent. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I remember Cleo looking at me like, we got to get him out of here. Oh, so, man. but that was the fun type of adventures that, uh, that I was included in. And we'd be in hotel rooms at, you know, all hours of the night when we're at different shows and different auction houses. And, um, I got to hear a lot of stories from the fifties, sixties. That I don't think too many people, you know, Carol would tell stories to the general public, but they weren't very detailed. And believe it or not, and you knew him, 
they'd change once in a while. Yes. <laughs> so. yes. I heard the same story three different times in three different crowds, three different versions. So we were sitting <laughs> in Auburn somewhere. I think we were at a restaurant in Auburn and we were just shooting them, you know what, with a, with a bunch of buddies. And then he was at the auction park and then I'm sitting next to him when we were in Vegas at uh, the gala at Scottsdale and he's telling the same story. And it's like, I looked at him and I thought, you son of a gun, that is not the same story you told, but uh, it, it depended on the audience, right? It depended on who was listening and how creative he felt that day. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question, which I wanted to ask Ford versus Ferrari. What do you think? was it anywhere accurate? Was it somewhat accurate? Was it, I mean, it's a great movie, but whether it, it was, was great- a great movie, but it was made as the movie to entertain. So there, there is some, there's quite a few accurate points in the movie. Um, there's things that didn't happen that they depicted in the movie, you know, fisticuffs and some of this right. other stuff. But as a whole, it kind of covered the outline of what happened. They left out a lot of the beginning though, you know, um, and that was, you know, before the GT40 was ever involved. Um, the early 60s and 63, 4, 5 with the Cobra needs a little bit more accolades and probably its own movie, actually. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it doesn't tell the story of how the Daytona Coupe came about, um, what the FIA Cobra, how, why it actually evolved, what it was. Um, but there's a there's a book that's called Cobra Ferrari Wars that was somewhat of the background for that movie. Right. Uh, Michael wrote Michael um, Holmes, I think his name. I can't remember his last name. Wrote that Cobra Ferrari Wars. It's out of publication, but if you want to read something that is extremely detailed and accurate of the Cobra Ferrari stuff, that is the book. Right. Right. Several hundred pictures, very, very detailed. Well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, they have to make license for things. I mean, look at, I imagine, I can't imagine they actually locked Leo Beebe in Shelby's office and when they took <laughs> Ford out for the ride in the GT40, but it sure made for a good movie, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's been really good for Ford. It's been good for Shelby. Sure. Um, Superformance, everybody. So, you know, that's, um, I think that's what the movie needed to be based on and, and really pump, you know, all the branding. Sure. Are you, uh, are you surprised at the Cobra values, uh, of where they are today? Well, having, <laughs> having built and driven original cars, you know, I drove CSX 2000 pretty regularly because we, Shelby was somebody that believed that you needed to drive cars. You didn't just look at cars or else sure. they just sit there and rot. Um, I think that the, the part that I see that's finally catching on is the value of the 289 as opposed to the 427. Yeah. And the, the awareness that the 427 was not really the car that ever beat Ferrari. Right. Um, the 289 was a warrior car. Um, and it's starting to get recognized as a, uh, a much more valuable car than it was a mere 10 years ago. Sure. 20 years ago, you could, you could pick up an original 289 Cobra for 350, 400,000 bucks. You know, right. still a lot, of money, but nothing close to a 427. Right. 
And if you're not well versed in 427s, they're a handful to drive. I mean, they are not, you know, they're not for the faint of heart. The 289s, even the high performance ones have a little bit, they're a little bit better balanced, I think, and they just seem to be a little bit easier car to uh, handle or manhandle. Yeah. You know, we, we were building cars with 750 horsepower 427s, which is just ridiculous because you, you can't really stick it to the ground. Um, for one thing, and uh, like you say, an oversteer nightmare. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I'd never forget when you brought that aluminum bodied Cobra to Branson and we took it out and got on it and we weren't completely straight. And I thought yeah. the thing was going to snap in two. <laughs> it was that <laughs> much power. I was like, I have never felt anything like this in my entire life. It was it's a crazy car when you drive it. And you know what happens? Most of the accidents happen when people get on it. And then they kind of have a little freak out period and they let off the throttle. That's when it goes crazy. Sure. Well, you look at like the Ford GT when it came out in 2005 with no traction control. Guys got scared of that car real quick. And that's when the values just dumped on those things. And of course, they're, they're back stronger than ever now, uh, obviously. Yeah. It was always, you know, we were, we were involved in that program, um, from a, you know, Carol more than I, but just from a, uh, advisory type perspective. And I was able to drive the early cars. I bought workhorse one for a dollar from Ford, <laughs> the 4.6. And that car actually, I felt it just had the four, the four, six motor in it, but it was felt so much more balanced than the production cars that came later with the bigger engine. Um, the, the you know, that we faced that with the series one, the same type of issue because we didn't want any of the anti-lock anti you know abs brake system all that because it took away from it being a race car sure and and carol always said you can throw all that stuff in the garbage that ruins cars (laughs) um yeah technology is what, what, uh, you know, with the series one, I mean, to build a car from scratch, come on. That's, that's like, that's crazy. That's, you know, you, I mean, General Motors has a hard time with it. You know, Ford has a hard time with it, especially back in the seventies and eighties. That must have been monumental a task and probably taxing mentally as well, too. Well, it was four of the toughest years of my life, to be honest, but. I mean, I didn't really know my wife and kids at the time because I lived at the shop. Um, and I, I, we were very fortunate to have Mark Viscani and Mike Edwards and Kirk Harkins and some really talented engineers and fabricators. I, there's no way that, that Ford, GM, Dodge, Chrysler, n- none of them could have done what we did because of their approval process. Right, exactly. We did that car in about 16 months from zero to production. Now, Don Kalitti used to, used to come over when, we, when I was in the middle of that. Carol said, I'd like him to work for us. And he said, no, I'm not coming. Uh, I waste more money in a day than you guys make in a year. But, um, you know, he said at the time, he said, "You and, and we spent about twenty-three million in total development and getting the thing to the to the ground as a production vehicle, which is a very low figure, relatively um, speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, 
at the time, Politi said Ford would have spent $190 million doing something like that. And come up with the same results, probably. Yes. And, and then John Fernandez that worked with Carol and Bob Marsh. You remember Bob Marsh? Yeah, I do remember. Um, great guy. Um, you know, he worked with Carol and Bob on the first Viper and all that from the Dodge side of it. He used to come over and he'd say the same thing. Dodge would have spent 200 million bucks to do what you guys did for 23 million and it would have taken up three years. Exactly. Well, you know, the great thing about the series one and it kind of got forgotten about is that car had some serious chops. It had some serious performance. That thing would go. I would, I well, love it. Yeah. It held that motor trend record zero to 60 and 3.2 for quite a while. I mean, 3.2 was back in a time when 5.5 was like, whoa, you know, you know, it wasn't my 70, it wasn't my 75, 400 automatic Trans Am with 185 horsepower. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, it had a combination of, uh, uh, you know, having in the aluminum chassis, carbon blend body. It only, you know, it, it weighed a fraction of what anybody else's production car would weigh. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, uh, and, what are you most proud of with the series one as far as development? I know the suspension was pretty radical for a street car at the time. Uh, I know the engine was brought back like in the, in the Cobras where you had to have your legs canned to the left. I mean, what, yeah. what, what stands out to you about that car more than anything? Well, I think for its time, it was far, far more advanced than any muscle car or supercar at the time um, multi-matic helped us design the chassis and suspension push rod rocker inboard co- coil over the engine and transaxle floated independent of the chassis like the f1 um and i think that it's it was grossly unrecognized how much performance was actually in that package so I really, you know, I, I, if you've ever taken a Series 1 on a road course, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I've driven one on streets at limited, you know, capabilities. But uh, yeah. if you if you got another 15 minutes to spare, we'd love to have you on on the third se- or fourth segment if you're still available and don't have anywhere to be. No, I can I can do that. I can All right, do sounds that. good. When we return, we'll have Brent Fenimore on for segment four because we got more stuff to talk about. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with a classic automobile podcast. You have to hear the band now. I can hear them pretty loud. I think they're they're playing. I don't know what song it is. They're playing. Can you tell what song that is? I don't know, but it's it's packed out there. It's yeah. a beautiful day. There must be three hundred cars out there. Yeah, we got three hundred cars out in the parking lot, and uh, we've got uh, you know our our free car show inside and outside. So we've got uh, my buddy Brent Fenimore on the on the uh, Zoom call with us. This modern technology is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You didn't have to come all the way down to Morgantown, although we'd love to have you here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make it out there one of these days. I've wanted to. I've, I've been watching you guys for quite a few years now, three years now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's an amazing place that you have there. Well, I appreciate really that. I got to ask you, though, one of the things that we all are so surprised about is the – we talked about the value of Cobras and the 289s coming into their own. Why isn't a KR GT500 convertible worth more money than it is today? I don't understand that. Uh, it's, it is kind of crazy. Um, usually the value of Shelby's was based upon the number of them built. Um, right. Quantity was always a big issue because there really weren't that many Cobras ever built. Under a thousand cars, you know, and... Um, you know, so that was always a big factor in the value of the cars. And if you remember GT three fifties, they were not a collectible type product when they came out. Neither were the five hundreds. They were a hot rod muscle car. Right. Era. Um, it's, it, I think part of it is that now there's so much more technology put into not just the Shelby version of the Mustangs, but the, of course, uh, Shelby Americans version of the of the right. Mustangs, right, right. So that kind of explains the modern KR thing, sure. which I think is what is what is kind of drawn the original GT five hundred KRs up in value dramatically because there were actually a lot of them produced; they weren't right. limited production, right, right. Um, well, and and if you look at the Series One values, are starting to come into their age. That uh, just this past January, Barrett uh, broke two twenty five and two forty for a couple of Series One. So that's certainly yep. encouraging. Uh, yeah, it seems like anything with Shelby on it right now is is escalating. Um, I got to see that Sunbeam Tiger is kind of. <laughs> catching on yeah those things are really you'll, you'll be shocked at some of the prices you see those go for at auction i mean some of them bringing 150 dollars for a selby i mean we you know yeah. we love the we loved the sunbeam tiger when we were kids but we never thought of it as something that was uh you know that special it was just a light no. car and you know you could put a big motor it was a in. modified modified sunbeam alpine it <laughs> yeah, was right. a project you know that was ken miles project right um, which some people don't really know. Um, but Ken, Carol kind of put Ken onto that because it had, you know, it's English heritage. And, right. you know, um, that was kind of his pet project for, for just be, until he died, actually. Um, sure. and, you know, it's kind of one of those amazing things seeing the AC aces that are now going up in value. Oh that, my gosh. Nobody recognized those for what they were. I mean, that was a fantastic race car, you know, in the mid fifties, all the way up to 61. It, it was winning SCCA. It was, I mean, amazing cars. 
Yeah, um, those Bristol engines were no slouches, right? I mean, they had some pretty good well, power for what they were, and and uh, very light vehicle, yeah. very yeah. light. Um, that engine that was in those was the original engine, the the light, right? Um, the AC light six was actually developed in like nineteen. 19- 20 something it was evolved but it was changed so until bristol became involved you know with the light sixes from the ac factory they built their own motors um amazing little motors they were like swiss clocks you know right right um but the 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 success of those i don't i didn't see anybody really noticing until the last few years how successful that program was before it became Cobra. Yeah. Um, And Ken Rudd, you know, Ken Rudd had the six cylinder Zephyr motor that he stuck in him uh, in the RS version of the ACE that was really fast. Sure. They were over, Um, was that over two, was that 200 um, horsepower or? Yeah, he had, there was three stages of Rudd speed. Um, and I think the, the full stage one, they advertise at 197 horsepower, but Ken could eat, you know, you could cheat that up to 215, probably pretty easy back then. (laughs) Yeah. He he was pretty good when it came to that stuff, right? Uh, Yeah, he was. Uh, And uh, people don't recognize him in America. They do in England. Sure. Um, I spent two years over in England in 2016 and 17, working with AC on a car program that they purchased over there. And I got to see a, a lot, you know, I, I had already gotten AC and Shelby back together and then that separated after I left, but I stayed in touch with the, you know, the whole AC cars group. And I went over there and lived in England for two years, back and forth, uh, working on a, a Ford motor program called a Zenos. Right. Really fast little car. It was it was deemed to be like the AC Ace. Right, right, right. So, ACs had its ups and downs, and you know it's uh, it's not a superhero such as uh, Shelby is. But you know Brian Anglis during his time there did a lot of really cool stuff. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about, I mean, the success of. I mean, Shelby's more successful now that he's, you know, that he's gone than he was when he was alive. I mean, how many Shelby Mustangs have they made since his his passing, which was, you know, two thousand twelve? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the agreement that we put in place in two thousand four. That was for 2007 through 2012 was 10,000 cars a year minimum. Right. right. So right there, you know, 10,000 times five, there's 50,000. Wow. Just before. And, and since then, like you say, it's his name has blown up even more and more, but that why I really wanted to sign the agreement and we didn't make a lot of money from the agreement, but the name Shelby got spoke in we were getting 50 million dollars worth of marketing per year exactly after we, yeah um, exactly. our license deal was really what it was and we were getting 200 dollars a car minimum ten thousand cars but i also yeah. in that agreement gave us the right to produce shelby gt 500 performance parts and sell them ourselves and promote them nice. and the ability to get up to a thousand of the production cars to be modified in, in Vegas, which is what the 500 KR program turned into. 
Right, right. Which is a great, that 2008 500K R was a great car, wasn't it? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. What, 540 horse or something? That thing was badass. Yeah. Five, you know? Yeah. I love that car a lot. And I like the new cars, but I think they've kind of lost their flavor of being a Shelby look to me. Right. They're great Mustangs. Uh, the Mustang is more of a sports car today than it's ever been, you know. Right, right. It was, it was deemed as a, Carol called it the secretary's car that they forced me to make into a, a muscle car. <laughs> so uh-huh. true. So true. But, you know, the funny thing today about it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a monster. Yeah. I mean, they've got 900 or 800 horsepower. I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever. I don't even, I, it's too hard to keep up with anymore of, you know, what horsepower it each is. one's got. But, you know, if you could have, if, if, if I could gift you any Shelby that was ever built, Shelby, Mustang, Cobra, which one car could I gift you that you would be that would be the car at the top of your list? Well, you know, I've I owned the Series One for several years. I own the car that was set the record, and I love that car. But I, that wouldn't be really. I, I would be leaning towards probably a Daytona Coupe. Yeah, and then I'm talking about an original, not a Super Coupe or any of that stuff. Um, and it's not based on value. It's just based on our age for one thing. Cause that was a bad boy car back in the sixties. Oh, I mean, man, there was nothing like it in the, in the world besides a Ferrari. And we didn't know that much about Ferraris when we were little. Um, sure. Nobody, no, none of our neighbors had anything remotely close to a Ferrari. We had something remotely no. close to a Cobra Daytona in that we had pushrod V8 engine cars and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. um, the Cobra Daytona, I, I can only imagine to drive one of those has got to be like the top of anybody's bucket list that's in the car world. Yeah. I, I was, I was fortunate. I was able to drive the original, um, car 2300 that Carol had on, Laguna Seca, but then when he, when that got sold, and that's a whole story in itself, and I don't, that'd take an hour to tell you that, but, um, then I was able to, to, um, do some laps in the 2459 or whatever it was that was modified by McCluskey to an exact Daytona coupe. Right. And it was, it was, I, I, it was a handful. I will say that. Mostly because it's very confined and hotter than a pistol in there. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't but it was, cool a fun, it was a fun hot. It was a fun hot. It was a fun hot. I'll say that. Well, it's kind of like for me when, uh, you know, there's, there's things that are, that are nerve wracking and fun at the same time. So when we did eBay did the Bondurant school in 2001, when we had the auction at Rawhide, I don't know if you remember that yeah. in Western town, we had to pay $250,000 to settle the dust because we decided to have an auction at a dusty ranch. And we got to go to the Bondurant school the next day and we were doing all these different things. And B- Bob came out and was getting in the car and he said, anybody want to ride with me? And all the instructors backed up and I said, I'm in. And I oh. and I got to ride out there with Bob Bonner, and I could just see the headlines when he barrel rolled it, and we both died. It would say "Legendary Race Car Driver Bob Bonner and Unknown uh, <laughs> Unidentified Passenger" <laughs> it would, would be the headline. But uh, yeah, it was very yeah, uncomfortable, Bob. but very cool. <laughs> Bob was that kind of guy. He would. I, I can't say the f word on this show, but Harold <laughs> would always say. Don't loan cars to Bondurant. That guy would F up a bowling ball. And 
<laughs> oh, Carol. Well, because know. he would drive every car on the edge, and yeah. he was so talented. Yeah. yeah. Well, they um, when you went to his school back in the day at, when they were at Sears Point, uh, they were in those little yeah. Formula Vs or whatever. And he would yeah. the, the yeah. last yeah. day of the of the course, he would get in his six point nine Mercedes sedan, and you took off in that Formula V. And his goal was to catch you and hunt you down and pull you off the road. And I don't think many people have got made it without him doing that. I, I agree. He yeah. was. I I ended up um, buying into the off road. In about 2009, and I got—I have an off-road race and tour company called Wide Open, and we took a couple of our buggies down to Bob because we were Bob was interested in putting together an off-road course out behind right. um, his shop there and tracks. And but Bob said, "I'm going to take it out on the track." I'm like, "Oh no, <laughs> bad idea." And, he, and these were pretty bad. These are these are really nice buggies. Um, they're not little buggies they're 18 inches suspension you know they're, they're about 190 horsepower they're light he had that thing on two wheels the whole dang time and everybody's just watching going oh my gosh he's gonna die in this thing no nope. fear no no fear none no fear whatsoever <laughs> Well, we yeah. could do this all day. I mean, what a delight this has been. And I, I'm remiss that we haven't spoken more in the past. God knows how many years it's been since we've seen each other, but, uh, certainly a pleasure to see you and uh, talk to you. And, uh, I, 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 I want to give you an open invitation. You get the nickel tour when you come down to uh, Morgantown to come see Classic Auto Mall. You got it. I'll be there. All right. Brent Fenimore, thank you so much. And, uh, we will catch you next week at the Classic Auto Mall podcast and we'll see you then. We appreciate your listening to our show today. And don't forget, when you're in southeastern Pennsylvania, come visit us in person. We're open Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wednesday is our late day, and we're here from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Saturdays, we're open from 9 a.m. to noon, and we are closed on Sundays. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. The Classic Automall Podcast is produced by Car Smarts Media. Theme song by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.